Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. All right, super excited about this week's podcast. I have uh, two brothers, Jason and Jeremy Burchard, who are co-founders of a company called RootNote out of Nashville, Tennessee. This is fun on multiple levels. One, there's a couple of key moments. If you have a brother, you will hear Jason and Jeremy go back and forth in the podcast. Uh, it's priceless. I really like it. They, they, don't, they don't go too off the rails, but there were moments where I hope they would. Also, a lot in here about uh, music because RootNote is uh, a platform for creatives and Jeremy is an artist himself. And so uh, we talk a little bit about uh, what he does as an artist and how the platform that they built supports those artists and other creatives, uh, not, not just musicians. So there's a little little insider baseball there. If you're at all interested in the music industry, get to, to peel away at that onion and um, how creatives are uh, either served today or underserved, uh, where they see the market going over time. But and which is super interesting, just from creatives in general. When you think of all the platforms that are out there, from YouTube to Twitch to you know emerging platforms that they schooled me on towards the end, uh, just super fun conversation. The platform is uh is uh, super exciting can't wait to see how it grows really enjoyed this episode find them at uh root note online tag them thank them for coming on the podcast and thank you so much for listening this episode is brought to you by full stack peo most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need, not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Full Stack PEO. Full Stack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies, not just those core services, but advice and expertise that help founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find out more at fullstackpeo.com. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have Jason and Jeremy Burchard, who are the co-founders of RootNote. Jason, Jeremy, welcome. Thanks so much for having us, Mike. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you. All right. Let's open things up with a quick pitch for RootNote. Tell everybody who you are and what you guys do. Yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, we're, we're RootNote. We're building a SaaS platform for content creators to help them understand their data and manage their businesses better. We actually started our company several years ago in the alternative investment space and as strategic investors and partners to content creators themselves we realized that there were some huge problems in the data and business management space. Uh, long story short, I was doing a lot of manual entry in spreadsheets, and we figured out that there had to be a better way to solve some of our own problems. Yeah. And uh, just to step back from that a bit, we're brothers, obviously. And uh, I, this is Jeremy speaking, I come from a creative background. I'm an artist. A lot of what we have done has been using me and my band and my band's different accounts as uh, the guinea pig. So two very different backgrounds uh, with one very uniquely common goal. And this is uh, Jason here. My background is in consulting and social impact venture capital. And uh, I'm pretty much just good at Excel and PowerPoint. (laughs) (laughs) That is very humble. Okay. So, and then when you say content creators, 
Do you mean mostly uh, music artists or are, are there other types of content creation that you guys are targeting? Yeah. Short answer is all content creation. But the long answer is we're, we're focusing primarily on music now because, well, A, we have a ton of experience in the music industry and how artists make money. And B, what we're finding is that a lot of musicians kind of ultimately encompass all of these different facets of creation. So we love the growth in live streaming. We love Twitch as a platform. I happen to also be streaming music on Twitch. So in addition to actually putting records out, you know, the the normal way we go out and we live stream on Twitch. We love people who create via Patreon and who have these Patreon accounts and, and make content that way. Well, a lot of artists do that as well. So that's kind of the long answer is that we're starting with music and growing into all these verticals to getting, you know, more and more specific to their needs because music does happen to touch a lot of these different content creation, you know, spectrums. And I'd, I'd add to that from a more macro perspective, Mike, you know, the, the digital creator economy is just booming. You know, the, this gig economy, you know, your, your Uber, your Lyft, your TaskRabbit, they, they led to this phenom- phenomenon where effectively people could start doing what they really wanted to do uh, and turning some of their, their passions into um, careers. So there's this whole new generation of podcasters, of influencers, YouTubers, musicians, all of these incredibly creative uh, and, and wonderful people uh, making all kinds of new digital content where in, you know, even a decade ago, uh, what we're doing now probably couldn't exist. Yeah. Like your side hustle, you can do whenever, like you can make content creation, your, your full-time day job. And then your side hustle, you know, you can go drive a couple hours a day or, or you know, take some, some uh, food to people or, or, you know, do freelance stuff. It's not that it's not hard, it's still difficult. It's just you have the option to do it now. So people can, you know, l- long gone are the days of being a lawyer for 30 years before you finally decide to go form a jazz fusion band with all your buddies, because that's what you really wanted to do 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And then let's make it, let's go one level deeper on the SaaS product. Um, one of you, give, real quick, give me an experience. If I'm a content creator and I log into your product, what am I doing? What does that look like? Yeah. So the first thing that we'd hope that you would do is go straight to the My Accounts section and start plugging in some of your existing like social media accounts. If you are a musician, it's plugging in some of your Spotify for artists, Apple Music for artists, Pandora, all of these different places where people are listening to your music and you're getting paid. That's the first kind of step is just affiliating your existing accounts with RootNote uh, in Dakota. And then Coda is going to start you know, showing you some magic, which is, which is really cool. And one of our favorite things is, is having users look at all of their data in one place and go, ah, I can see it all right here. Um, so that's, that's kind of the first thing that, that we want to get you to do is put some of your data in. Got it. And then uh, let's say I've been using Coda for a year. I don't, actually think it's been out for a year, but let's say I've been using it for a year. What, what's my experience like a year from now when I log in? What am I doing? Well, a year from now, we hope that it looks like just a whole, not, I'm not going to say a whole different platform, but just a, an entirely advanced platform. Uh, you, you are correct. We've only been 
available in a beta state for a couple months. So even within the past few months, you know, when you first logged in, you were greeted with what we thought was a pretty cool slick dark background. Uh, we quickly realized that people want a light mode too. So now you can choose between whether you want to see dark or light. Uh, more platforms, obviously, that you can track your data with. But really, the big thing are these tools that we want people to use. So it's a big focus for us to have people not just see their data at one place, but understand how to use it. So whether it's something as simple as scheduling posts and having content go out over multiple platforms at once, or it's something much more, you know, financially driven, like sending out invoices, being able to track that money and see what you're spending money on and kind of correlate your spends with your growth, being able to look at things like your growth over time, not just in one platform, but all of them together. So you can actually provide people with a really good understanding of your growth. One of my big things with the current climate, at least for music, is that Spotify did a really good job of kind of demanding that everybody adopt their vernacular, right? Monthly listeners was not a thing we were talking about before Spotify. And now it's a thing that people still really only look at with Spotify. But all these other platforms have adopted that metric. We can actually help you look at your, you know, your stats from across the broad spectrum of services. And a year from now, we want to have all those platforms in. We want people to be rethinking about, oh, this is my monthly listeners. We want to be talking about touch points and you know money per email sent. And we want people to really be thinking about their creativity as a business in a way that they understand already. Got it. Is it, would it be safe for me to simplify this down to back office for creatives? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Expanding on what Jeremy was saying, effectively, we're, we're in this incredibly accessible yet incredibly complex landscape of content distribution, monetization of, of tools, there are all of these really exciting ways that creators can connect uh, and distribute content. The challenge is that because there are so many different ways, there is so much data that just ends up being siloed uh, into individual compartmentalized places. Uh, and as you know, being a, a business owner and, and running a business really does take this comprehensive macro view. So, uh, you know, as, as unsexy as back office tools for, for content creators um, is, you know, we think it's incredibly important. There's so much lost kind of opportunity. Um, there's overspending, there's missed revenue. And uh, we, we really are excited about helping to kind of bridge that gap that's currently being served by legacy technology like Microsoft Excel and Google Sheets and QuickBooks. Not that there's anything wrong with those platforms. They just weren't built for the 21st century content creator. Yes. Sorry, Jason just called your your slogan unsexy there. That wasn't very nice of him. <laughs> Actually, that's you're nicely transitioning into the meat of this podcast, which is competition. But before we do that, I know, Jeremy, you'd said you guys have been in beta for a couple of months. Why don't you guys, one of you give a quick rundown of kind of current status, paint a picture, whether that's vanity metrics, team size, funding, what, like whatever you want to share. So somebody listening kind of gets a sense for where you're at in the journey. Sure. So from a company standpoint, there are four of us uh, full-time right now between myself, 
I do what we we made up a title for me, which is basically just chief creative officer. But my you know my day to day is working on products, designing products, troubleshooting products, talking about all of the different things that we need to to build in. So uh, and then there's Jason, who's you know the CEO. We also have Brian, who's been with us for a while, and he he runs biz dev and, and operations and customer experience. And then we have our head of engineering, Gray, who has really only written started writing the first line of code in November of 2019. So, so like you know, as you know, still very young on the product side in terms of code being written. And then we've got several hundred, Jason would know the exact number. We have several hundred users in the beta right now. We also started running what is called a, uh, so I'll take a step back. The platform is going to have a free version, a premium paid version, and then what we're calling a pro version. And the pro version is basically for people who are going to have multiple creatives, multiple artists that they want to kind of manage and track at once. So managers, uh, you know, larger people, um, people who work with more a little bit analogous to in QuickBooks, I can set up my own QuickBooks account or I can have my accountant who has five, six, seven, forty accounts. Yeah, 100%. And so, so right now what we're doing is we are working with about a half dozen and, and a growing list of management companies who are actually coming on board and basically helping us build what we're calling the Coda Pro version. So that's kind of the current state. Um, we're, we are building out new features to the platform, but it is also available in live. And then there is a Pro version that we that is not available publicly, but that we're working with several management companies on. And then maybe uh, just adding to that as far as kind of our, our company history and timeline, because um, so we launched four years ago as an alternative investment company, as I mentioned earlier, and we just made the the pivot to fintech um, a little over a year ago. So this year, uh, it's been interesting, but we did close a small pre-seed investment round and then launched the public beta of the product in July. And as Jeremy mentioned, just uh, started running the pro pilot version with plans to roll out some of the early premium products in Q1 of next year. Got it. All right, let's get to competition. One which you've already kind of answered a little bit when you think of competitors in the space who are what comes to mind. Yeah, so it's really interesting. We, we've seen this space really grow over the past couple of years. I think some of the more common platforms that artists and their teams are currently using to, to track metrics are platforms like Chartmetric, uh, sound charts, different data aggregators. One of the challenges with a lot of the existing aggregators is that they're only collecting publicly existing information. So, you know, anyone can kind of go and, and scrape that macro data. Uh, what we're doing, which is um, quite different, is we're actually going in and getting that individual uh, financial data. So it's it's been a really interesting process just to kind of navigate this landscape and, and figure out who's doing what. As far as direct competition goes, we are seeing a handful of other companies out there start to kind of brand themselves as business tools for content creators. The, the challenge with that is that business encompasses so many different things that it's kind of hard to unpack what different people are doing until you actually jump in there and see. So most of these are living in the, the content monetization world, trying to figure out new ways to help content creators monetize their fan bases. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a, a continuing, a continual growing space uh, over the years to come. Yeah, and and Mike, this is something we can just talk with you. I mean, there's the, the truth is we don't know enough about some of these platforms 
to say they are direct competition or not. Uh, there's a platform out there called Stir. We've seen them build a couple, what they're calling drops, which could be analogous to our tools, but they've really focused on like getting Twitter accounts with a, a decent following to see if, you know, have them quote unquote pre-subscribe. So basically creating a way for, for people to ask their fans if they would be willing to join their fan club. There are some platforms that definitely work in kind of like the financial space in music that are still really early that we're trying to figure out more what they do. Um, there's one called Artie. There's a platform called HiFi that launched recently. And, and again, it's hard to say whether or not these people are direct competitors because they are also very early, but they're much more tight-lipped on what they're doing. We realized very early on that if we're going to win this space and we're going to win over creators, we need to be very public about who we are, what we're doing, the fact that these aren't just problems that we saw and figured we could solve. They're problems that we've experienced and are solving for ourselves and others. So, you know, you, you can feel free to, to cut out any of the specific names that, that we talk about, but there are, I mean, who, who are some of the others, Jason? Besides Stir, we talk about one. Immensity. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to cut out anything you just said. That was amazing. <laughs> well, I, let, me, let me just preface this. I don't mean to insult anybody who is out there trying to build a product and see what works. And I don't, you know, I don't want to say like, hey, Stir's tool about seeing if people would pre-subscribe is useless because they might find that it was very useful. This is just my hypothesis. This is asking, you know, if me and my friends who are creators would go like, hey, do you maybe want to go to the dance with me? Versus just being like, hey, go to the dance with me, right? So something like Patreon allows you to just straight up build that and say, please give me, you know, $5, $10, $15. Uh, Freaking, I tweeted about this earlier today, OnlyFans, you know? I mean, it's like, they're out there too. And I know that, you know, they're starting in, in the more lascivious world of asking people to basically pay for, you know, more risque content. But that's what Snapchat was, you know? And so it's, we are trying to, understand the landscape between hypothetical and reality. And we realized very early on that we needed people to really be able to see their numbers and to really track their data and to really use tools to help them do things if we were ever going to win this space. So a lot of our competition is playing in hypotheticals right now. So we're trying to understand that space a little bit better. Yeah. And, that, you know, I think it's a race to find product market fit. That's one of those words that gets thrown around so frequently, but we're kind of just all playing in a big sandbox right now, experimenting and, you know, pulling levers, twisting dials. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I'll promise, well, let's just get to your next question, but just I, the competition is important for us. Obviously as a company, you know, this, when more people come to the space, it means the ideas is, is becoming, it's either getting better and better or it's more people realizing it in both cases. That's great. But the truth is anybody who comes into the space with a goal of helping creators make money is ultimately good for us because part of our big value proposition is helping people find the best places to make that money. The same way that like a nerd wallet helps you compare credit cards, right? Nerd wallet isn't like, you know, ah, oh, shucks, there's a, a new credit card company out there. Like they embrace that. It's not like PayPal came along and then Venmo came along and Cash App and who knows what the next form of, you know, easy transactional software is. But it's like all of those things are good for us the same way that hi-fi potentially being able to give artists, you know, smoothed over payments of their money is good for us the same way Artie, you know, a potential possibly potential competitor, you know, wanting to advance money is good for us because ultimately we want creators to be able to, to understand all these options. Right. All right. I, this is like, uh, I'm so happy with, with these answers, by the way. So you have no idea. So I have, uh, three 
questions that immediately recurred occur to me as as uh, a response to what you guys just said, and I'm going to let you do a little bit of choose your own adventure. So, uh, Jason, you had mentioned product market fit in the space, which with that many competitors, and I know you guys are learning a lot right now. I'd be super interested in in what you think you're looking for to confirm product market fit. Which you know, product market fit's kind of like you know you you know when you got it. So it, it is a hard thing to answer, but. Be, one, I'd be super interested in kind of what your current theory is for what product market fit looks like. Two, everything, even in that competitor set that you talked about, I think a lot of that, at least based on the short summaries you gave, is still very geared towards the creatives themselves. I wonder, is there anybody else other than you going after the managers in the space? And I, I'd be super interested in your thoughts on that. If, if not, why not? And then three, with that many competitors in the space, it, have you found any correlations in terms of capital that's investing in that space? So like big VC and or, or are all those companies bootstrapped? And if there is big VC kind of investing in that space, what is the theory that they're investing in, do you think? So again, choose your own adventure, product market fit, going after managers, capital. Yeah. So I'll, I'll kick it off with the product market fit. What I'm looking for as I'm having these conversations is people who are willing to pay us for these services. You know, I think our biggest milestone so far to date has been landing those first customers who have said, nothing like this exists in the marketplace today. This is the first solution that actually goes all the way. And yes, I am willing to pay you monthly recurring revenue uh, for you to help me solve this pain point. It's a paid beta right now. They're paying money. Uh, the the pro pilot um, platform that we talked about is so the public is free. Public beta is free, but the pro that we're working on for managers, we have paying customers for. Oh yeah, awesome. Okay, yeah. So I mean, you just summed it up right there. Like oh yeah, like that, <laughs> that is product market fit. You know, it, you know, we don't have those huge sexy numbers of you know thousands of users right now but we're going there and here's what i'll say okay we bring in and i i understand this because i like to dive into the marketing it is really expensive to get anybody to do anything on the internet uh except for look at pictures of butts hashtag only fans it's <laughs> one of those things where getting emails you know two to five dollars an email in general just saying trying to give somebody something costs money literally asking somebody to do something for free. And so while we do have, and we are doing some marketing testing, the vast majority of our free users have come organically based off of either content that I'm writing and putting on our, our website or people just searching for these types of things out there. Again, it's, I wouldn't say that's necessarily product market fit, but I would say that is, you know, curios product curiosity fit, which is the first step, you know, to getting people into the paying funnel. Yep. Let's switch gears then a little bit in in terms of who else is going after those managers. Yeah. Um, so because and and actually, just a I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Jeremy. But the the thing that's really interesting there is you kind of defined product market fit in terms of those managers paying money, right? So, and I know that's not the only thing that matters, but uh, in in terms of knowing when you have it, that that's kind of the current miles or the current metric. So, who else is is trying to court those dollars? So I would honestly say that the people that we mentioned earlier are going after managers. I think one of the or, or labels, people who are interested in macro data, a lot of the sexiness around what companies like Chartmetric do, which we, we really respect, by the way, we respect Chartmetric a lot for what they've done. But a lot of it is like A&R, find trending artists who are coming up. Honestly, 
the price point is pretty high for for just regular artists. So I would say they are actually going more for managers themselves uh, and and labels and 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 A and R teams and similar things like that. Jeremy, what was that last thing you said? She said artists, managers, labels. What was the last thing? A and R teams, artists and repertoire. Um, so basically, the people who are responsible for going out and signing talent for a lot of these labels or, um, you know, shit. I mean, oh, I, sorry, I didn't mean to cuss on your podcast. You're uh, fine. But, you know, uh, publishing companies are out there signing artists now. You know, marketing agencies are coming in and getting involved with these people. Uh, so people looking at artists who could potentially be influencers, you know, they'll, they'll be looking at TikTok, TikTokers and see somebody's got, you know, 500,000 followers and it turns out that it's because of their music and blah 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 so a and r teams are basically the people who are kind of like you know talent scouts i guess if you really wanted to just make it a, a really basic kind of analogy love it thank you sorry jason back to you oh yeah it was a couple of weeks ago uh and a post on twitter went kind of viral uh of this company called create.os i thought it was io create io create io yeah. Yeah. Maybe. That sounds right. Yeah. One of the, one of those. In in that vein. But they created an, an interesting tool, which was basically a label deal uh royalty calculator. And if you remember about a month ago, Kanye West took to Twitter and just destroyed it with he released his entire record label contract. He he just let me clarify because Jason's messing this up. He destroyed <laughs> The current record label contract environment. He did not destroy Create.io. Create.io created a label calculator. They say not in conjunction with Kanye West's Twitter rant, which, by the way, he also peed on a Grammy in for some reason. I'm not sure why that was part of the whole thing. But they created basically what it comes down to, a tool that allows people to go in and insert their terms and determine how much money they would be making and how much they'd have to pay back. It's basically a calculator. A calculator with very reduced functions. Um, but a lot of that was around the language of Kanye West's Twitter rant, which was the modern day version of Prince riding slave on his cheek or, you know, the Beatles and, and Michael Jackson fighting over their catalog and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, all, all of that being said, there's been a lot of talk lately about the economics of label deals. And there's a lot of misunderstanding, I think, about what goes into them. So any tools that help with clarity around that. So all this being said, you know, you asked what other companies are targeting, uh, targeting managers right now. We are seeing companies emerge that are helping kind of analyze maybe deals that would be more specific to much larger artists, which is great. It's just the reality that the vast majority of content creators today are not signed to major companies. You know, there's there's really only a handful of artists that are signing major label deals, but there's still a ton of managers who are managing artists that, that are not signed to these larger partners. Mm -hmm. So the question becomes not what are the economics of major label deals, but what are the economics of your business? Because that is a question that has been so overlooked for so long, just by the limited amount of data available, by the nature of how contracts work. You know, as soon as you get big enough to, uh, to have money coming in, the first thing you do is hire a business manager, which is effectively kind of outsourcing all of your financial knowledge, uh, which is really interesting. I mean, could... Could you imagine not having a conversation with your 
your CFO or your head of accounting or, or whoever it might be on a regular basis. So not to say that, you know, business managers aren't incredibly valuable. It's just, we're starting to see a, a market of so many more content creators that are earning living wages or at least starting to prior to ever reaching that state of, you know, getting VC funded by a label. Yeah. And, and the truth is like a lot of times I, I I don't know if a lot of the current, you know, infrastructure understands the way people are making this money. I don't know if a lot of business managers understand that you could, you know, go live on TikTok, for instance, and get these weird little donations from their fans and and how to leverage that and how to, to, to account for that. And I don't know if people understand the economics of something like Twitch, which is a, I mean, it is real, man. I, I don't know how to explain it other than like it, there's real money and people are really doing well on that kind of platform. And it, it is just so different from the traditional, you know, model that I, I think that ultimately you're going to start to see a world in which creators understand their finances better than a, a, a traditional manager or business manager would. Do you guys have any sort of macro, like when you think of classic pitch things like total addressable market, right? Do, do you have any kind of macro trends around like just that. So something where like, you know, 10 years ago, there were X number of independent artists who weren't working with managers. And, you know, today there are 10 times that number. And we project that by 2030, there's going to be a hundred times that number. Like, do you have anything like that that kind of speaks into this? Yeah. So I recently put together just a map of companies that have emerged in the past two decades. Uh, and I was just looking at, you know, Patreon, which emerged in 2013, I believe. Uh, since coming on the scene in 2013, they've processed over $2.2 billion in creator payments. They just closed a $90 million Series E round. They're valued at over a billion dollars now. And they are just helping content creators get paid from their their fans. Um, they they started off with a lot of YouTubers and and they've since grown. You know, Twitch started as Justin.tv in the mid two thousands as a mechanism for Justin Khan, the founder, uh, just kind of live streaming his day. You know, fast forward to today, it's been acquired by Amazon. Um, they're now linking up with Amazon Music, and I'm sure they will be getting into merch soon. That only makes sense for them. So what I'm trying to, to get at here is the, the landscape has changed so much in the past 20 years that the number of content creators has just exploded. Um, it's for, 30, 32 million in the U.S., right? Yeah. So I, I calculated, uh, projected that today, you know, there are 32 million content creators making money in the U.S. alone. Signal Fire, uh, a large VC firm, actually released a study recently where they calculated that there were over 50 million content creators earning a living. You know, certainly they, they segmented it into those full-time creators and those who are just getting started. But the point is 50 million people is a lot of people. And this market is growing at double digit pace, you know, and I think the way that we're seeing things go and continue to move, it, it's only going to keep growing as it becomes more accessible. Uh, that is exactly what I was looking at for. That's awesome. 
Jason, Jeremy, do we have any root note swag out there, either for uh, creatives or investors or employees? You know, we really need some. You don't. <laughs> that was not the answer I was looking for. <laughs> Jeremy, you have a band. How do you not like your swag game should be on point? So, yes, I do have swag for my band, but uh, we've made a grand total of five T-shirts for our root note company. And it was mostly for Jason running a marathon. <laughs> oh, so he, Mike, he, you're bringing up great points, Mike. We need to we need to get on the on the merch game for root note. All right. Uh, if you were going to, let's say you were going to buy some awesome swag for your investors, what would you get them? Well, I'd first do. we'd ask them what they wanted, mm-hmm. and then second of all, I think everybody loves a nice koozie. No, it's <laughs> the wrong answer. No, uh, I, I don't know. I can't tell you, Mike, but I'd tell them where to go. You know where it's a nice lead in. Uh, yeah, they should go to fuelmerchandise.com and mention startup competitors and get 10% off their first order. Honestly, honestly, though, I think maybe like stress ball. Well, I don't know. I mean, you, you tell us better. What would you want? What do you get too much of? That's the question. And this is this is research for us because we do want to, we should give nice gifts to the people who believe in us. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's a great question. I, I would actually, so I'm, I'm pretty big into stuff I can wear. Uh, I know a lot of investors are. So whether that's the, the t-shirt, the hoodie, the baseball cap, the polo, whatever. Um, I'm actually a big believer. You can't get too many startup t-shirts because I've started turning all my older startup t-shirts into, into blankets. Uh-huh. Even like cut off the logos and send them in and they'll like quit, you know, somebody will quilt, quilt them into like a 36 panel blanket, which is actually pretty cool when it's all covered with startups that, you know, so I, I I've done that for older stuff. Um, uh, but then, you know, I'll wear it for a few years and then before it's like totally, totally torn up, um, I'll set it aside and, and turn it into something like that. So that's kind of nice for memories. If you were going to do something other than stuff you wear, I'm, uh, uh, I am actually a big fan of like, like the Yeti type mm-hmm. tumblers and stuff like that. I have a handful of those I like. I do like the laptop stickers. Uh, that's kind of nice. Yeah, stickers and t-shirts, man. It's just like having a band. I'm into the basics. Yeah. It's not like right. you don't got to get fa- fancy. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's actually really helpful. And you know what? We will. We're going to, we don't have swag, but I tell you what, we're going to make some swag. We're going to get some shirts. We're going to give them to the people who believe in us. And you know what we're going to use to do it? fuelmerchandise.com you gosh darn right <laughs> that's so well done you've done this before <laughs> i've had to do a couple of radio stingers in my day I, I like it let's circle back to the capital question who's investing in this space and do you have a sense for why they're investing what they see yeah so it, it's really interesting um i'll go back to to signal fire just because of the fact that they just released this report you know, I think 10 years ago, if you would have gone and pitched a VC and said, you are building a company to help content creators, they probably would have laughed and, and walked away because the, the proof just, it wasn't quite there yet. YouTube was still growing. There were still all of these platforms that were, were proving that they could generate, you know, substantial returns, uh, not only to the people using them, but to the, to the investors themselves. Well, flash forward to today, and we're seeing this whole new microcosm of VC firms emerging uh, to invest specifically in what they're calling the the passion economy. So individuals who are looking to 
monetize themselves as, as brands. And, you know, you can do that in a number of ways, whether it's through, you know, teaching your own fitness class through Zoom or, you know, like Jeremy does through creating a music brand and live streaming and releasing content through DSPs. But there's really a number of ways you can do that. As far as specifics go, you know, uh, Lee Jen, I know she has kind of, um, really emerged as one of the thought leaders in this space. She recently left Andreessen Horowitz to start her own firm to invest specifically into kind of what she's deemed the, the passion economy. And we're seeing a lot of investors uh, follow suit, I think, just because they see how rapidly this market is growing. I guess, talk to me a little bit about the future. When Where do you see white space that nobody's, if you're willing to do this on a podcast, because other people are going to hear this, but where do you see white space in the market from a product perspective still that you feel like, you know, five years from now, if you're building product now with that kind of white space in mind, you're going to be well positioned for the next stage of growth for an exit for, you know, whatever that is. So I, maybe a crappy way of saying what's on the product roadmap, but, but not, not what's on the product roadmap that like is table stakes that everybody who's in the space has to do, but the stuff that is like truly differentiated and you don't currently see anybody out there doing it and kind of playing the puck where it's going to be. Yeah. So the big thing, and this is coming from me, not just as somebody who's, you know, thinking about and designing the products on a daily basis, but somebody who is actively trying to find the answers to these questions as a musician and a you know content creator myself. And one of the big things is that context is almost completely devoid in a lot of conversations when it comes to creators. When people are talking about growth, they're usually looking at things that are hard to understand, hard to manage. They're usually not looking in the right places. When you talk about, you know, where are people listening to me? How do I understand this? And, and so I think, honestly, context is is huge for everything that we do. It's hard enough for somebody to just go find out how much money their song is making on Spotify versus Apple and their average stream rate, right? So speaking again, speaking about music specifically, it's very difficult to go in and just get a very good understanding of over the past year, my new single made this much money on Amazon and it made this much money on Spotify and it made this much money on Apple. And this is how much I got paid per listen on each platform. And you would think that something like that would already be out there, but it's incredibly convoluted. The contact that you almost can't find it over a certain, you know, time period. And so those are the things that we're talking about and looking at right now, stats that people want to understand contextually. One of the big things that we see kind of emerging is that there are a bunch of these platforms that are like, you know, whatever, Lamborghinis, and everybody's just looking for a nice Honda Civic. And and so I'm not, I'm, I do think that Coda is a Lamborghini, but it's, it's like a, or, you know what, it's more like a massive Honda Civic dealership. And essentially what you're looking at, when I mean that is, um, let's say somebody does want to do something simple like uh, schedule a post. Right. I want to just put something out and I want it to go out to these people. And I want to be able to, you know, to remind myself that I need to talk about this or I post it on Instagram, but I didn't post on Twitter. Something that seems very basic and simple. Well, if you're going to go look at any of these other platforms, it's like, yeah, we do that, but we also do 80 other things. And guess what? You're paying for all 80 things. And then you have to log into four different platforms. And it's like uh, freaking annoying. And 
most people who are making money, even good money, you probably know this, Mike, like the more money you make, the cheaper you get. And the harder it is to convince you that you need something. And so there's a huge amount of opportunity to come in and make these tools, these problems simple and solve them all within the same place. And so that is a very, I think, safe way for us to tell you kind of our roadmap without actually telling you our roadmap. I love it. Yeah. So, you know, and we, I mean, if you want to get specific, we definitely can, but that's definitely white space. But that answer brings up a, a problem for me that I, I'd love your thoughts on. So that, while that, that's an incredibly great vision, when I think of implementing or executing against that vision, I, so Jason, you know, you, you gave a couple of very specific examples of products that you know, e- even 10 years ago didn't exist and people didn't see the potential, whether that's, you know, Twitch or Patreon or or something like that. So, you know, when I think of, and, it, and if you look today at new platforms emerging, which, you know, arguably in the last 24 months, TikTok and, you know, and, you know, there are others, right? That um, when I think about building, and, and so fast forward 10 to 15 years from now, if you think of the pace at which new platforms that a creative can publish content will be coming online, that means you as a platform that tries to create visibility across all of those platforms has to keep up with that bleeding edge, uh, particularly if you want to serve creatives, right? Because if I'm a creative and I and I want to get noticed on Spotify, like what? Like how? <laughs> like versus if I'm a creative and I want to get noticed on this brand new platform called TikTok, which nobody else is on yet, like, well, maybe I stand a chance, right? So when you think about remaining relevant to the creatives that you serve, there's almost this technical, not almost, there is this technical challenge of every new platform that comes out, whether or not you know it's going to be a winner, uh, which you can only see in hindsight, you're going to have to track that platform, integrate with that platform, help your artists understand the potential of that platform. How do you plan to, when I think of operationalizing that, not just in terms of code but in in terms of even making meaning for your for your users like how do you plan on tackling that yeah so i mean you brought up a great point and partially it's our team right like i am and i'm not going to be the only creative who works for this company i can probably do that but you know you, you say tiktok and it's like man tiktok's old news baby even trailer's old news now we're talking about bite and clash and all of these other apps that you're like hold on there's how many short form video apps? I don't even know what you just said. <laughs> and so, and so the, the short answer is, you know, constantly being not the smartest people in the room, but the most curious. And so we, we, we start by addressing these opportunities quite literally. I mean, this sounds, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but in our blog, um, you should just really go read our blog, man. But no, <laughs> the truth is, we do. We look into these platforms and we say, hey, this needs to be on the radar. Is this something that could benefit the people who use our platform? Is this something for them to care about? Let's take a look. And then from there, we start to talk about what are people actually asking us for, right? Because we could go down product dev hell if we try to integrate all these platforms just for the sake of integrating them. But you know what? Amazon Music for Artists is in beta and a lot of people are going to start caring about Amazon Music when they realize how much more you get paid for your streams on there than on Spotify. And even though a lot of people are still kind of early or they're not quite there yet in terms of caring about Amazon, um, they're still mostly focusing on Spotify. 
Like we know that we can be there, A, because some people that we really trust and care about are there, but B, because we've studied this long enough to know that that is a place to go. So integrating with Amazon Music for Artists is definitely on our product roadmap, whereas integrating with Byte or Clash might not be there yet, uh, or even Triller, to be honest. You're absolutely right. I mean, we have to be relentlessly curious, and then we have to know, hey, are we just adding some fat to this steak here, or are we you know, adding actual flavor to the platform. I'm really on it with my metaphors today, right? <laughs> well, you know, killing it. To, <laughs> to maybe flip that challenge around, I would say I see the speed and advancement of the market that we're operating in is a competitive advantage. I mean, the barriers to entry because of how fast it's moving are high. You know, you, you can't just build something and then sit on it and then hope that you're still relevant, you know, to succeed in this market, you have to have an incredibly efficient and lean operational capability. And I believe that if we do build that, we'll win, you know, it, it, it becomes a source of kind of competitive advantage, just the sheer fact at how fast things are moving. Yeah. And, and you know, you can put stock in, in platforms like YouTube, like you can invest time and energy into helping YouTube creators understand their business better because it's been around and it will continue to be around. There, there are just some, some companies that you can definitely put stock in. So obviously we will focus a lot of our, you know, dev on the kind of the, the pillars of the content creation world. That It's interesting. You also, um, Jason outlined indirectly the data advantage you'll have, right? So if you, so that, that, the speed of change also directly correlates with the moat that you start to build up over time of the insights that you have around. Yeah. If you really want to make money, get off Spotify, do more on Amazon, yeah. maybe not get off Spotify, but no, yeah. in, invest more into Amazon and yeah, your market, adjust your attention. Yeah. yeah, exactly. As you're indexing more and more of those platforms and seeing how they really perform over a larger data set, it just becomes harder and harder to chase you. Right. Um, not just because there's a bunch of new products coming online, but because you, a new and a new competitor won't have that historical data to know in context where to invest the time. Yeah. And, and the truth is, I mean, we can, and we plan on becoming, you know, the first platform that can actually financially contextualize all of these big kind of pie in the sky numbers and growth terms that people are talking about. And we can do it against, you know, anonymized data sets that our users help provide us. And we can do it because ultimately we're going to drive down costs for them, whether that's costs for, you know, acquiring capital against the money they're making, whether that's costs for advertising. I mean, the, the, it's just not the world, the United States at least is not set up for these 1099 creators, which ultimately all of them are. When you get paid from Spotify and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's still basically your, your 1099 income. And so, by having this data and helping them understand it, we can make it a more, you know, I don't want to say fair, but a more competitive world, which is ultimately good for our users. You know, competition to give them money to help them grow is good for us. All right. We're way over time. We probably have to wrap up. That that was a great answer. I love it. But I've already kept you guys 13 minutes longer than I should have. So real quick, as we wrap up, Jeremy, if people, so this is not root note, if people want to hear you perform, uh, what's, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, well, the band is called Moonlight Social. Uh, and we just put out a record that I'm incredibly proud of. So 
no, not even trying to be coy about it. It's the best album you'll hear this year. Go listen to it. And that, whatever year you're listening to, if you're listening to this in 2023, <laughs> this year, uh, it's called the carrot and we made it entirely within the house that we're, we're doing this right now. So I think I genuinely believe it is a testament to what creatives are doing now, including the additional content we've done around it. We live stream music and performances on Twitch currently in a carrot costume. I can't promise that I'll still be wearing a carrot costume when you hear this, but it's been a hit. So Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays, literally after we finish up doing product stuff for Root Note and finish our last meeting, I go and I live stream on Twitch. So that's where you can find me currently. All right. And Jason, so you don't feel left out if people want to see you perform, where's the best way, place for them to do that? <laughs> oh boy. Um, <laughs> you can catch me mowing the yard. <laughs> Probably every two or three weeks yeah. uh, if you want to come to Nashville. Actually, he just paid for the pro version of Calendly. So if you want to schedule, just uh, just hang. Just schedule on his Calendly. He'd, he'd love that. Yeah, I'm on Zoom and Google Meets all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. And if folks want to get a sneak peek at Coda and sign up, what's the best way for them to do that? Yep. Go to rootnote.co. And uh, it's pretty hard to miss. I designed the website. So if you can't figure out how to sign up from there, that's on me. But you probably should be able to. So rootnote.co will get you straight into the free beta of Coda. Jason, Jeremy, I have very much enjoyed this. Good work. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks for having us. We love your podcast. (laughs) It's the best podcast you'll hear all year. If you're thinking of launching a SaaS product, startup competitors can provide data on your closest competitors, survey potential users, or provide other product validation services. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.